The first epistle of Peter, chapter 1 and verse 8. 1 Peter 1 and verse 8. Whom having not seen, ye love. Whom having not seen, ye love. Peter is writing to dispersed Jews living in lands beyond the boundaries of Israel. Now, as an apostle, Peter has been blessed with literally seeing the Lord both before and after his resurrection. In his second epistle, uh, in chapter 1 and verse 16, Peter says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Uh, and so Peter uh, personally saw the Lord. Uh, he had a particular view of the Lord's deity and the Lord's glory as he was transfigured before him upon the mountain. And so Peter has received this wonderful manifestation of the reality of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through his own individual physical contact with him. But he is writing to those who have never seen the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. And yet, despite this, those to whom he writes love the Lord Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet ye are believing. And so, these Christians, to whom Peter writes, not only never saw the Lord in the past, they do not see him now. Yet, they still believe in him. And Peter commends this. Whom, having not seen, ye love. Though now ye see him not, yet ye are believing. Many of the Jews did see the Lord during his earthly ministry. But still, they did not believe in him. Many witnessed his miracles with their own eyes. But still rejected him. Now, a very significant portion of scripture in this regard is John 20. John 20, verse 19. This is after the resurrection, 
This is one of the Lord's resurrection appearances. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And then if we move on to verse 24 of John 20. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And so, here we have Thomas, who has been told by ten other apostles, and others, including the women who saw the risen Lord, he is being told that they have seen the Lord. But he does not believe. Thomas also has the Lord's own promise that he would rise from the dead. Thomas knew that the Lord had said he would do that. Thomas also has the testimony of all the Lord's miracles, which he would have witnessed, miracles which included the raising of the dead. But still, Thomas refuses to believe that the Lord Jesus has risen from the dead. When he finally does believe, having personally seen the risen Christ and his wounds, the Lord issues the following gentle rebuke to him in John 20 and verse 29. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now let us think about it. The vast majority of believers in all the subsequent centuries will never see our Lord in person. <coughs> Nor would it be necessary for them to do so in order to come to faith. None of us has ever seen the Lord Jesus Christ in person. Either before his resurrection or after. It would be an impossibility. But it does not matter. Because Peter states here, whom having not seen, ye love. They love him, even though they have not ever seen him. You see, God reveals himself to man 
in other ways. We do not need to have the Lord Jesus Christ actually stand in front of us. God has revealed himself through his creation. He reveals himself through men's consciences. He reveals himself supremely through the scriptures. Beyond that, God requires that men respond to the inward drawing of the Holy Spirit upon their hearts. And, and so God is revealing himself to men through the work of the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ. Now that work of the Holy Spirit is an unseen work. You cannot see it physically. And that is what unbelievers have to respond to. A Christian is one who walks by faith, not by sight. Yet you find many people today arguing that they do not believe because they have no evidence. They do not believe because they cannot mathematically and scientifically prove that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They do not have external evidence which satisfies them before their eyes. Therefore, they say, I am justified in not believing the Christian faith. Well, such will never become Christians if they lay down those conditions for believing. Because that is not the nature of faith. And so unbelievers need to understand exactly what faith is. Now we have a definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. There we are told that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith then is our personal substantiating of those spiritual realities which we cannot see, are giving substance to them as being real. We know that the resurrection is true through our faith. Our faith gives substance to the resurrection. Faith is our own personal confidence that what God has spoken is true. 
we give substance to God's revelation in our hearts by believing his word. We are told in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Evidence is the confirmation of truth. Faith is our confirming as true what God has revealed concerning Christ, his death and resurrection and his work of salvation. Faith makes those concepts true to our hearts. Faith is our confirming that these things are true. We have not seen him risen from the dead, but faith is our personal confirming that this unseen thing is true. Faith is the making evident to our own heart that he really did rise from the dead. Now, we cannot, at the moment, see heaven. None of us can see heaven with our physical eyes. But we believe heaven really exists. Faith is our confirming of this unseen reality and future hope. So faith is the sure confidence that we shall indeed receive the unseen things that we hope for. In Christianity, a person is actually required to believe as true that which he cannot verify with his physical eyes. And God requires, for example, that we believe his word is true concerning creation. We cannot verify it scientifically. We cannot produce an experiment which proves that God created the earth in six 24-hour days. We can certainly present evidence which can be interpreted in various ways. But we cannot actually prove it. But we are required to believe what God has said. The very nature of faith, therefore, relates to the unseen. Uh, and incidentally, those who believe in evolution also have to have faith. Because they, likewise, cannot verify scientifically their position. Evolution is a faith position. Now, faith, in Christian terms, is relying on God's word. Rather than on our human senses and human reasoning. Which is sight-based. 
Now, there were many people who temporarily followed Christ because they saw his miracles. But they did not see the spiritual message being conveyed by those miracles. They did not believe the Lord's actual words. They saw miracles with their eyes, but they did not embrace the Lord's teachings. And so if the Lord Jesus Christ were to come to High Wycombe next week and perform many healing miracles in the high street, you would still not get true conversions. Because that is not the nature of faith. Faith is the conviction that these unseen spiritual teachings are in fact true. Teachings about the Lord's death and his resurrection, judgment to come, heaven and hell. We do not see these things. But faith is the conviction that they are true. To have transactions with God, we have to move into a totally different realm to that of sight, touch, physical sense and scientific verification. Concepts such as the day of judgment and there being a place of eternal judgment called hell cannot be mathematically proven or perceived through the normal senses. And yet, most people are demanding, I'm not going to believe in that unless you can prove it to me. But God calls upon men to exercise faith in what he has revealed. He has decreed that it is through faith that men should respond to his revelation of himself. Now God draws and enables people to believe through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now you cannot see the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is not a scientific proof. It is an internal work. The Spirit works on men's consciences. The Spirit speaks through men's circumstances. The Spirit causes men to hear God's word. But they, for their part, have to respond by means of faith in the unseen realities presented to them. Now, faith in what God has revealed is actually an obligation. It's not an option. It is an obligation. God created us as human beings in order that we have faith in him. Since the fall, however, men by nature have an inbuilt antipathy to believing in Christ. 
And only the enabling power of the Holy Spirit can remove that inbuilt desire not to believe. God draws men to Christ through the Holy Spirit's work, exhorting them to have faith for the salvation of their souls. Faith is not simply a lifestyle choice. But God actually commands men to believe and he holds them responsible for not believing. And so when people say, well, I can't believe because I haven't got the evidence, they are deliberately rejecting the unseen work of the Holy Spirit. And they do not understand the nature of faith. Faith is heartfelt reception of God's word. A reception of the Holy Spirit's convicting work upon the heart. And so faith is always a response to something inward and unseen. And so those who say, well, give me evidence before I believe, are on completely the wrong track. Because that is not what faith is. To have faith is to agree with God's pronouncement of sinfulness and to trust in God's remedy for sinfulness, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who do come to faith in Christ have the burden of sin lifted and they rejoice with joy unspeakable knowing that they are forgiven and bound for heavenly glory. And so Peter says in this verse 8 here, Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. These people have never seen Christ. They do not see him now in the present, physically. Yet they believe and they rejoice. Their faith is their making evident and their confirming to be true all that they have been taught, including the fact that the guilt of their former sins is now completely removed. They now enjoy the glorified status of sons of God, united to Christ their head. They have an indescribable rejoicing in their hearts, but not because some kind of scientific experiment has been proven before their eyes, but because they have faith. Faith in what is unseen. Faith is a response to an inward work of the Spirit. 
not to external physical evidence. And so these believers have an unspeakable joy. And this can never be experienced by those who only trust what they can verify with their physical senses. Now we totally support scientific inquiry and endeavour. But it is not what is required when it comes to responding to God. In verse 9 here, we see the consequences of faith. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So the end or consequence of faith in Christ is eternal salvation. That is how important faith is. So we must know exactly what we mean by faith. Faith is not a mere intellectual assent to God's existence. There are people who will say, yes, I believe God exists, but they ignore him throughout their lives. But they are happy with the concept that there is a supreme being. Now, we live today in what is essentially a non-Christian country. Most people do not attend a place of Christian worship. And society, as a general rule, rejects God's moral law. Yet, if you went into the high street and took a survey, you would probably find that a majority would claim to have some kind of belief in God. There will also be many who will tell you that you do not need to go to church to be a Christian and that one can be a believer in one's own private way. Many will express assent to liberal social values such as equality and helping the poor. And they will argue that to do that represents a kind of Christian faith. Such, however, remain without any true faith. Theirs is not a faith which has led to a radical change of the way they live. Such a faith has not led to renouncing all sin. Indeed, such faith allows the person to continue to feel quite at home in a God-rejecting world. And also such faith will frequently be devoid of any desire to pray or to meet with fellow believers for worship and instruction. So people can say, yes, I believe there's a God, but they never pray to him. Now that is not true faith. That is not the faith of which the Bible speaks, nor is it the faith which leads to the salvation of the soul. 
biblical faith is a personal leaning upon God the Son. It's the only one through whom sins can be forgiven. True faith acknowledges a personal need of cleansing and salvation. And so you can have people of other religions. They have very strong religious views, but they're not leaning on Christ for salvation. It is not true faith. True faith resorts to Christ alone as being God's appointed saviour. And true faith is a fruit of the heart having been humbled by an awareness of one's sin. Now, secular politicians and secular journalists frequently refer to people of faith lumping all the religions together. But true faith requires a personal humbling of oneself before God, a personal reaching out to Christ for mercy, a personal awareness of the absolute degradation of one's own heart. An integral part of true faith is the need to repent of all sin. Faith can never be considered apart from repentance or apart from a desire to serve God and keep his commandments. And there are many today who are trying to separate faith and repentance. Oh yes, you can be a Christian and you can also carry on in that fashionable lifestyle. See, they're separating faith and repentance. There is no other way in which to believe in Christ than as the saviour from sin. Many try to believe in him as a politically correct, society-reforming liberal. But that is not true faith. That is not faith in the person revealed in the scriptures. Our Lord himself taught the centrality of repentance. And he also stressed the need for repentance to be from the heart. So faith in Christ to be real must include heartfelt repentance. We should never view true faith as being something extremely difficult. Because God gives to fallen men the grace whereby he is able to believe. So that person who says, I'm not going to believe unless you give me evidence, is actually making the situation far more difficult than it need be. 
through the work of the Holy Spirit upon the unbeliever's heart, the unbeliever is given the ability to believe, without which the Spirit's drawing, without this Spirit's drawing, he could not do that. But God is in fact far nearer to men than they are apt to think. You see, faith is not some hard, almost unattainable goal which only a few select very special people can manage. It is not difficult to have faith because God provides the means. When the Lord asks men to believe, he only asks them to do what he enables them to do. Romans 10, verse 8. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so Paul is stating there that the message of the gospel is near and accessible. And so coming to faith is a possibility for all who desire to come to faith. What they have to do is believe the message brought to them. And the Holy Spirit enables them to do that. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 10. Turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. For this commandment is not too hard for thee, neither is it far off. And so the person who says, I'm not going to believe unless you give me evidence before my eyes, they are totally wrong. We have to say to them, look, you can have faith. You do not need that scientific evidence. And if you had it, you would not believe anyway. What you have to do is trust in God's word. Not look for seen evidence. Respond to the Spirit's work upon your heart, that unseen work. No one today can ever claim that repenting of sin and having faith in Christ are steps which are too high, too remote, too obscure, or too difficult for any ordinary person to take. You sometimes hear people say to Christians, Oh, I wish I could have the faith you have. That is an excuse. It's not a legitimate reason. Because they could easily have our faith. They choose not to because they want to carry on in their sin and unbelief. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Christ's nearness. 
People often make out faith to be something quite beyond them. The reality is that their corrupted, fallen hearts do not want to give up their sin and submit to God. God in his grace has made coming to faith a straightforward step. Christ is even standing at the door. The problem lies with the stubbornness of hard-hearted men. John 7 and verse 17 is very significant here. If any man will do God's will, if any man desires to do God's will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So our Lord says there that anyone who actually wants to find God and submit to him will have no difficulty in realising that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the one speaking God's words. In other words, the only barrier to faith in Christ is man's own unwillingness to give up his sin. Faith is believing that Christ is what he is said to be and that he will do what he has promised to do. The gospel is a call to believe what God has revealed. The very nature of faith relates to what cannot be seen. God requires men to believe as true that which they cannot verify before their eyes. Faith is the God-appointed means by which men must respond to God's revelation of himself. God draws and enables a man to have faith, but the man himself must choose to believe or not to believe. Faith in Christ is an obligation. Without it, none can be saved. For faith to be real, it must include repentance from all sin. Faith is not some hard, unattainable goal. When we are called to have faith, we are only being called to do what God enables us to do. The Lord Jesus Christ is standing at the door. He is near. The only barrier to faith is man's own unwillingness to give up sin. The consequence of faith in Jesus Christ is unspeakable joy. The inward delight of knowing that one is reconciled to God and bound for heaven. The Christian gospel then is a call to faith. The Christian gospel is simply this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen.